everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Copernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope that you'll join us every week. Well, we are very excited about our guest today. Um, we have Dr. Donna Tayungu, who is a pediatric infectious disease specialist at OU. Um, how are you today, Donna? I'm doing great. Great. Let's wait. Oh, there you are. Normally we're on a podcast, but today we're on video. So hello, everybody, for who's used to seeing us or listening to us only. Um, so what we look like. This is what we look like. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background. Um, so before we start, yeah. can we, can I just know why fried okra? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, fr okay. So fried is, it's Friday education, Oklahoma. So F-R-I. I love it. Okay. Okay. Rah. Okra. Fried okra is probably the state fried vegetable something. If it's not, it should be. And I bet we know some lawmakers who can make that yeah. happen. Let's make it happen. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, a little bit about me. So, my name is Donna Tayungu Vincent. My husband's last name is Vincent. Um, I was born and raised in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Um, I went to, I did all of my education in Stillwater. I went to Stillwater High School. Um, then went off to college at Indiana and did medical school in, at Michigan State. I did uh, pediatric infectious diseases fellowship at uh, New York University and then the University of Texas in Houston. Um, and I'm here and I am the chair of infection control for uh, the Children's Hospital at OU um, Health Sciences Center. And I am also pediatric infectious diseases faculty which has been very interesting. Um, it has been a very interesting 2020 for everyone, yeah. I'm sure, but especially for myself. Because yeah. I've heard a lot about pandemic viruses, um, so it's interesting to be in this position living through it, so. Yeah, well, so let's um, talk, that's what we wanted to talk to you about today. So let's um, talk about that. It's 2020 has been, um, Full, to say the least. Um, what, when you think about schools restarting and schools as an environment, um, what what are things that like what comes to mind to, for you? Like, what are things that you think that schools need um, to reopen safely? Um, what what's a timeline or like what's a an environmental situation that you would think of um, that you would think that needs to be in place for kids and adults to be safe? Yeah, I mean, I think that question starts with the community, really. Um, the countries that have reopened safely, and it has been done, there's many countries that have reopened schools safely, mm -hmm. and some countries reopened schools and actually had a decline in their cases after reopening. Wow. Um, and it, not necessarily because schools reopened, but because they were so cautious and opened um, carefully. So the, the first thing that you would want to see for schools to reopen safely would be um, 
this the community spread of the virus kind of on the downtrend and and and, and under control um, because then you would know that there's not overwhelming amounts of virus within the community that will be passed around once people get into yeah. the school setting um, so so that's that's the first part is having you know your community spread of the viral virus under control and then the second part would be um, you know things you can do on the ground to, to make things as safe as possible for students and for teachers um, like certain PPE and uh, making sure I mean some of the things people have been doing internationally is making having students actually wipe down their own desks multiple times a day and do um, so the teacher will walk through the classroom and spray the cleanser or whatever it is onto a desk and then the students will take that opportunity to wipe down their own desk um, and then you know obviously a huge emphasis on hand washing and maybe hand washing breaks Hmm. Um, there has also been discussion about uh, children being in certain bubbles or pods so that if in, an infection were to outbreak, there would be very easy contact tracing to yeah. everyone who was involved in that situation. Um, I mean, so there's a lot of different ways that, you know, schools could kind of set it up and try to open as, as safely as possible. Um, with the caveat and the understanding that there will probably be outbreaks. I mean, it is a respiratory viral infection. And for me to come out and say, this is gonna be super safe and there's never gonna be any infection that pops out from all of this, it's just not, that would be disingenuous. And I think um, that would be something we have to really understand going into it. So to backtrack about community, the, the community, spread the load in the community. Um, how is it looking? How do you describe it right now in Oklahoma? I know how I describe it as a layperson, <laughs> but like you as an expert in infection. How do you describe it as a layperson? I don't I don't think I should use that terminology <laughs> right now. <laughs> it probably isn't family friendly. Oh <laughs> But we um, might have similar description. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it is not great. Not great right now. That's, yeah. And so obviously we discussed like the, the last three days of data. Um, we don't really know. Um, the health department says they're having an error in reporting the data. So prior to those three days, we had very um, kind of alarming increases in our numbers. Yeah. Um, and so... So yeah, that's, I mean, alarm. So if we want to compare us to other states like Florida or Texas, we are not anywhere near that level of alarm and concern in the community. Um, but we are at a point where I think we would expect infections to occur. Yeah. Luckily though, Oklahoma City now has a masking mandate um, we know Stillwater, Oklahoma City, Norman, um, Tulsa. Mm -hmm. So those are those. I would expect the viral spread in in those communities to actually decline. So one of the things that the OEA has asked is that anyone coming into a school should wear a mask. Is that 
you know, is, is that, you know, medically sound to help? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what we do know about the virus is that um, it spreads much, much more easily indoors. So if there are people, you know, coming from the community that we know has increasing levels of viral spread, if they're coming indoors, they should have a mask on their face. Absolutely. What, so speaking of masks, um, let's talk about some myths that might be out there. Um, one that, that we've um, heard is that if, as soon as you start wearing a mask, then mold is going to start growing and get into your lungs. Between the layers and, and you'll be breathing mold and that is even worse for you than getting COVID. Um, no, that's false. <laughs> um, if anyone has ever had bread in their home and watched how long it actually takes for mold to develop on a loaf of bread, um, it might be a similar situation to the mask. It would take a very long period of time, days, um, for mold to actually develop on the, on the fabric. And the recommendation after you have worn a mask throughout the day is to wash it at the end of the day. Um, and at the very, very least, it should be hung in uh, UV radiation, like in the sunlight, which would also prevent mold from growing on it too. So that, that, one's, that one's false. What's the next one? There's one that I've heard about um, CO2 retention. Yes. Yeah. That's false. I mean, we wear uh, we wear our N95 masks all day. This is one of our research masks. We're also we're we are also researching masks. Um, but this is one of our research. This is a KN95. I literally wear this all day long, except for when I'm in my office all by myself, um, with an over mask, and. I do perfectly fine. And then this has been debunked a lot by medical people getting on YouTube and things like that. And they'll put like a pulse oximeter on their finger and um, just wear it all day long and show yeah. the pulse ox. You know, I don't know if you guys have seen those, but people's oxygen levels in a cloth mask or a simple surgical mask, there's no, um, there's absolutely no concern for, for CO2 retention in that situation. So our doctors who are doing long-term surgeries, long-time surgeries that take, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours, they're not losing brain cells because they're wearing a mask during the surgery. Is that? That's absolutely right. And, and in the era of COVID, a lot of those surgeries are happening now. It, previously, it was just like the simple surgical mask for the whole procedure, but now to be extra careful, a lot of those surgeries are happening with N95s on. So, oh. so we're, we're all fine. We're all still here. <laughs> Thank you. So one of the, one of the, I don't know if it's really a myth so much as like a perception is people have said, oh, well, like kids aren't going to get it or it doesn't make them as sick or it's not really a problem for kids. Um, can you talk about that perception? Because, I mean, kids can kids can still get it, and frighteningly, kids children children have died from it. I mean, it's scary. Like, can you so, talk about that perception? Yeah. So, the overwhelming majority of children who actually get this virus will do relatively well, and that has been shown, you know, across the world. 
if children get COVID-19, their bodies, for some reason, handle it very similarly to other respiratory infections. And if you compare COVID-19 with flu symptoms in children, it seems that children even have less actual symptoms from COVID-19, which is interesting. Um, you know, that being said, it's not every single child. Obviously, we just had our first child in Oklahoma pass away from this virus. So it is something to keep, to take very seriously. And even if a child doesn't have symptoms that are harming them, we don't yet know the long-term effects of having been infected with COVID-19 for, for even children. Obviously, we've only been, this virus was just born in December, right? And so we don't know the long-term effects of having had this virus. And we also, we can't say that a child who has a virus isn't giving it to their mother, isn't giving it to their grandmother, isn't giving it to someone else, even though they're asymptomatic. Yeah, that's why masks are so important. And that's a concern. Alicia, I know that you've heard it from many members of that yes. of that exact the spread issue. Right. So if educators, teachers, support professionals are going to be in school buildings with kids who can be asymptomatic but have COVID, the possibility of spread is alarming for many of our educators. Well, I think 50 plus percent are over the age of 50 and 30% um, and have underlying health conditions, whether it's past bouts of cancer, current bouts of cancer, diabetes, mm -hmm. uh, asthma. And so it's, it's very concerning to our educators to uh, be coming back to school without the PPE and the cleaning supplies needed to have face-to-face -face education. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I completely understand. And this is really personal to me. My mother-in-law, who I love dearly, is a teacher's aide in Stillwater. And she's 68. And yeah. she is insisting on going back to school, even though I'm trying very hard. No, I'm not trying to convince her not to. But she is insisting on going back to school, even though it's a high-risk situation. Mm -hmm. um, the, the way that, the only way I would like really be okay with her going back in is if she has, a fa if, if the school is agreeing to face masks on the students, because let me explain face masks. So if nobody's wearing a face mask and one person has COVID, the risk of transmission is about 90%. It's very easy. I mean, it's a very aggressive virus. If, um, if two people are both wearing face masks, and one person has COVID, the risk of transmission drops all the way down to 1.5%. And if two people are wearing a face mask and they're six feet apart, there's no risk of transmission. Why right? are we not all wearing masks? Why, why have we not mandated masks to mitigate the spread? Well, we we all we all wonder the same question. I think at the beginning of the outbreak, it was very confusing for everyone. So, a lot of people because so much has changed, a lot of people forget what happened at the beginning. We were reusing PPE. Like I don't know about you guys. Yesterday, my husband and I we went to Target, and I saw a face mask on the ground and i think i was traumatized because you know somebody had used it come out of target and just thrown it on the ground 
I was traumatized by that because I, I have been in a situation where we did not have enough supply to guarantee everyone. And so people would be wearing these things for like two or three weeks because we just had nothing. And so at the beginning, health officials were um, not advising universal use of face masks. I think that contributed a lot to the confusion. Um, some of us really thought it was going to have to be necessary, even if it was cloth, because the way coronavirus works is it's spread through droplets and very small aerosol particles. So if you catch the droplets in a face mask, the amount of particle that gets out either goes a tiny bit out to the side or, or through the back side of the face. So the amount of spread when you're talking to someone is very restricted. Um, so, so some, even the medical community at the beginning of all this was divided on whether we should get face masks or not. And it was compounded by the fact that we didn't have any masks, even in the healthcare environment, which was terrifying so <laughs> you know, with the new virus out there. And so, so yeah, we know a lot of different things now. The entire medical community, the entire public health community has shifted to explaining how important they are now. We know a lot more than we did before. We don't have the shortage that we had before. And so, so yeah, at this point, that is a great question. Why aren't they mandated? Why aren't we working together as a community to wear them for, and it's not forever. It's for a limited period of time till we get it under control and we figure out what to do next. So, you mentioned your mother-in-law. When you think about like your family um, going back to school, going back either as students or as employees, like how do you feel about that? Like I know how I feel as a parent and I'm nervous and scared and I don't even, I don't know. How, how are you feeling about that? Yeah. So I have mixed feelings because there are countries who've been able to do it very, very successfully. Um, but like I said before, they had very low community spread amongst the actual, you know, in the actual um, country. Like some countries reopened schools, but they had 120 new cases a day in the country. Oh. Not, not, in, the, not in a certain town. But, um, yeah. And right? Town. Like, I think... I mean, there are some countries that reopen schools and they had 63 new cases a day. If you have very small numbers, you can contact Trace and you can make sure those people stay home and you can make sure nobody else is getting infected. It's a little bit different. Like if you think about Texas, if you're having 10,000 new cases a day, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? So yeah, I'm a little apprehensive about my own family going back to school. Um, you know, I talk at nauseum with my sister-in-law about this. My nephews are very adept now at wearing masks in public and they understand the importance of it. Um, so it's going to be, it really is going to be a community effort. You know, school is a community atmosphere, right? Like everybody's coming together in one location. We really need to get the community on board with helping stomp this virus out. And that's the problem, um, you know, with public health and our constitutional rights all jumbled into one, because public health is really, we all work together as, and it's not really about 
your, you know, your constitutional right. And it's not about whether you want to or like to wear a mask or whatever. It's about, we have to get the virus under control. Yeah. It's about community. It's about it's caring about community and, um, and, and wanting to be safe and healthy for everyone. No one yeah. is expendable, right? No one is expendable. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. I'll just leave it. <laughs> I, I completely agree. I don't think we should lose one single teacher or one single student at all. What what message would you have um, for parents or caregivers, grandparents who are wrestling with this right now? What what is the message you have for those folks? Um, I understand that it's anxiety provoking and. Honestly, we're all going through it together. Um, the things that you can do as a parent or a grandparent is, it's all the same things we've all been telling everyone. Hand washing for 20 seconds. If you can't hand wash at the time, hand sanitizing, keeping a social distance and, and wearing masks in public. So. I mean, when is school scheduled to start? August 10th? Is that right? Some a little bit earlier for teachers to come back, but yeah, anywhere in the next two and a half weeks and beyond. So what I would be telling parents right now is to really get their, their children trained on how to properly wear a mask and really working on not touching their face because that's one of the, one of the issues is if you have a mask on that's not comfortable, kids are going to be adjusting it. And that, that is a concern. You don't want hands near the face too much. And so if we had low enough community spread, we wouldn't even have to consider discussing masks on super young children because it might be a safer thing to, to allow um, our younger people to come back without covering their face. But at this point, I don't know that we can say that we can safely do that. Well, go ahead, Alicia. go ahead. So for teachers coming back to the classroom, what, what would you say to them? I would want for, I, let me specifically speak to my mother-in-law's situation. I want her to have a face shield, um, to have a mask on, um, I want her to have enough hand sanitizer and, uh, you know, everything she needs to be able to protect herself throughout the day. Um, and, you know, for teachers, it's going to be all of the things we've discussed as well. I mean, the way to, to protect yourself from this environment, from this virus is distancing, social distancing, masking, hand washing. So, if there's a way to work with um, the powers that be to really understand the safety plan of going back to school, uh, that's really important. I hope that they are doing that. <laughs> Is that being done? Okay. Um, and then, you know, going, going back to school with very, with full classrooms may not be the best way to start until we get everything under control. So allowing some families to 
virtual learn to continue virtual learning um, if that's what they choose to do then I think that's a smart decision because if you have less people physically in school then you can separate you can move desks apart more and you can have further distance from the teacher um, so those are a few things but I, I completely I mean I work in a children's hospital essentially you know we're not a school but we have lots and lots of children around and the ways we stay safe are every single person that walks in the door, no matter who you are, has a mask on at all times. Like we, and we, we, we started that many months ago, like before we were even talking about it because hospitals across the country were putting masks, there's mandatory masks, masking in hospitals. Um, so even before we had the mask mandate in Oklahoma city, I always felt safest at work. I felt safer at work than I felt like, Going to get groceries. <laughs> yeah. We actually, I was, you know, as you were talking about that, one of my daughters had an appointment at Children's uh, last week. Oh, and, yeah. And I felt so anxious before going because I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to be in a hospital. Like, that is scary to me right now with everything happening. And I felt so safe there. Oh, I, yeah. Thank you for saying that. I was so grateful. I mean, really, because there was, it, everything was readily available. Like, yeah. like you could, use hand, hand sanitizer in a million places. Everyone was wearing masks there. I mean, it just, it felt it to me, it, it really like cut down on the, that nervousness. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy that you said that. Like, I think that's really important for, for everyone to understand that we have really worked hard to make a safe environment. Um, and so, yeah, people shouldn't, and you know, that, that brings me, that like brings me to another thought about like vaccines. Um, and people should really call their pediatricians because when I took my son to the pediatrician, it was the same. It was, I was very, I was, I'm a pediatrician. <laughs> I'm a pediatric infectious disease, but I was still nervous to take him to get his updated vaccines. Cause I didn't know how that office was planning to keep right. safe. And they did a great job. They, they actually had us wait in the car because they didn't want anyone in the waiting room. And, you know, yeah. so people should make sure to continue getting their children their vaccines. It's probably a very safe environment. And I know that's probably um, in the last few months been something that people have maybe paused or pushed off. Like I keep pushing off my dentist appointment because I don't know how that's safe right now, even though they assure me it is. Right. <laughs> um, but that this is the time of year when people are thinking about those kinds of things, but back to school with physicals for sports and vaccines before the start of school and all that. People are thinking about that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm sure you're right that people, people might be feeling a little anxious about, Ooh, do we really want to go into the doctor's office or do we? Yeah. Really but I'm telling you, like it is, I mean, you can call ahead and ask about all of their, I mean, that's the other thing I've been telling parents to do is make sure to have the discussion with the school board. What are the safety measures in place? How do we know that everybody's going to be safe? And you yeah. can do the same thing with the pediatrician to make sure it is safe to go get your vaccines. Yes. Never wrong to advocate for your kid. That's yeah. all I'm saying. That's absolutely right. And to advocate for yourself and your colleagues. Yes. And in schools, I think that we should at the minimum strive to be what our hospitals are doing to keep kids safe. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you so eloquently went through all of that. So thank you so much. Well, we are very grateful um, for you, Dr. Tayangu, and your colleagues and everything that you guys are doing. Um, and we thank you for taking the time to visit with us today and talk to our members. We appreciate it very much. You guys were fun. It was nice to meet you guys. Yeah, come back, come back again and, and chat with us sometime.
anytime in happier times yeah <laughs> they will come they will come excellent thank you guys well this morning we have a, a big topic to discuss and so we have a big panel of experts from across the country that we are so excited to visit with today um we're going to be talking about native american issues in education specifically, um, mascots and other things like that. Um, so we want to introduce our folks. Um, first, we've got Tom Claymeyer, president of NEA Alaska. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. And then we have uh, Linda Leal, who is a high school social studies teacher in Anchorage, who has taught Alaskan studies for many years in AP World History and is a member of the Athabascan tribe. Uh, Linda, good morning. Hi, good morning. And here from Oklahoma, we have Mark Webb, who is chair of our Native American caucus and uh, earth and space science teacher for uh, Mustang Public Schools and a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation. Good morning, Mark. Hello, good morning. And finally, we're joined by Debbie Hogue Downing, who is uh, an elder in our Native American caucus and a member of the Choctaw tribe and is involved with many, many causes, uh, especially uh Indian education here in Oklahoma. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning, how are you? Um, we wanted to visit with you guys uh, today. There, there's national national conversation um, about about mascots because of the Washington Redskins. And here in Oklahoma, Union Public Schools is evaluating their mascot, which is also the Redskins. Um, can you, uh, Linda? Can you give us some perspective? on um, this issue of mascots sort of historically. This is an issue I presume um, in Alaska as well. I think probably the biggest thing for me as I was thinking about this issue is how images and voices of indigenous people are just underrepresented in the media and so much of what you do see is often negative. Mm. And and even just opening up the newspaper this morning, um, you know, one of the headlines, or actually from yesterday's paper, was it's about this um, domestic violence has just been rampant since the COVID, since this COVID outbreak. It says, a blight of domestic violence deaths across Alaska villages. And while this story is true, that type of story is the kind of thing that some people, the only information that some people might have about indigenous people or about what life is like in Alaskan villages. And it's a negative thing, right? But there's not a lot of positive stories or positive interactions. Maybe people don't know any indigenous people personally that they can talk to and hear and, and where they become human. And that's the other part of it is where all they see is negative stories and then also caricatures, which is what the mascots represent or which, which they are. And they're not actual people. They're, I mean, what else are mascots? Mm. Animals? Right, <laughs> so right. is that what indigenous people are? Um, and so that's, that's why it's offensive. And even though I've heard all the arguments about the Washington Redskins saying, oh, no, it's about bravery and fighting hard. It's like, no, it has to do with who we are as people and being a more, you know, in depth and just this caricature and um, the de dehumanizing part is what's, what gets me personally. Um, and so it's, I think it's so important. And when we, and actually, as I was looking at the articles that I was shared with me regarding the Eskimo Joe's mass or that um, 
picture, the symbol that they have the mascot for the bar. When I opened it up, I had been told about it. And then when I opened it up, the article and saw the picture, I let out a, a gasp. I couldn't believe how um, it's extremely offensive. I was really shocked at how um, how awful it is. <laughs> it was not what I expected to see. And I was really surprised to see comments about it being, oh, no, I'm not offended by it. It's not racist. It is racist. And it, it, that has to do with the dehuman, dehumanizing factor. And and uh, thank you for bringing that up, because one of the things that we do want to talk to you about uh, is uh, specifically, as it's happening in, in Oklahoma and it has been a topic on the news, is... Uh, Eskimo Joe's caricature of of uh, of an actual person, and we had an experience as an association with this um, probably about twenty years ago. Uh, we were given Eskimo Joe's shirts as an association to wear to our NEA representative assembly, which is the big nationwide uh, conference that we go to, and um, and didn't think twice about it. Hmm. And the entire delegation was wearing them on our state day. And I'm going to uh, ask Debbie Hogue Downing, because she was one of our delegates at that time, to kind of talk about what happened with us wearing those shirts with our family from Alaska. Okay. Yes. Alicia, thank you. Um, the, the day we wore our shirts as a delegate, delegation from Oklahoma, uh, it was the 4th of July, and Eskimo Joe's, as many of you know, is like um, very historical in Stillwater, um, famous place. So, um, because they did give us the shirts, they, um, we were asked to wear them, and most of us didn't think anything about it until it was brought to our attention. Uh, I am a member of the Native American Caucus. At the NEA level, it's American Indian Alaska Native Caucus. So we have Alaska Natives that are members and participate in our caucus. And so they brought it up at our caucus meeting that day, which our caucus meets after lunch. And they expressed their concern about um, how sensitive it was. It was very insulting. The caricature on it, it, um, that's not what Alaska people look like. And um, so after our caucus meeting, the um, people who brought it up, I, I can't remember, there were two or three people that came over to the Oklahoma delegation and talked with our state president at the time and explained to him why it was um, offensive and, and very insulting. And so uh, he was not aware that it would be offensive. And so immediately uh, action was taken by the Oklahoma delegation that we take the shirts off and turn them wrong side out. And we were on wrong side out the rest of the day. So it was a very, uh, it was a warning experience for our whole delegation that day. uh, And we were very pleased that um, the Alaska Natives brought that up to our attention, and uh, the Native American Caucus brought it up also to our attention that we need to be more sensitive um, in that aspect. Yeah, I, I think 
that's a, a great point that it was a learning experience for our delegates. And, um, and first we have to look at ourselves as associations and what our practices are. Tom, as a new president, uh, because you just came on as president of Alaska, um, what, what types of um, messages are you seeing across the nation that, uh, that we need to look inside ourselves as an association first and, um, and spread that message? Yes, thank you. I, I, um, I think that uh, right now in particular um, with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the work that's been done really over the last uh, um, several decades to change many of these offensive stereotypes and logos and mascots um, speaks to um, that sense that we, uh, you know, we've had the civil rights movement, but we're not there yet. Um, that there's still a lot of work to be done. And in fact, I would argue in the last several years, we've moved backwards. And, and so I think as educators, it's uh, uh, incumbent upon us to um, promote um, the ideas of equity and respect for all peoples, um, the social justice issues, um, we have to speak up for our students and uh, their families and our members, um, and this is just one aspect of that. I think that um, that that aspect of of how it affects our students, you know, when our when our students uh, see a mascot of of who they uh, who they are represented of a, as a caricature. Linda, can you talk to me about what kind of uh, trauma that causes to our students? Well, I think for indigenous students, it, and, and not, well, so I live in, in the city, but I grew up in the village. And even here in Alaska, I mean, not even here, but definitely here in Alaska too, there's a, although we have a large indigenous population where you know, more than 20% of the entire state's population, there's a lot of racism and I've encountered it in my classroom. I've encountered it not only from students, but also from staff members. And sometimes it's in the form of maybe the least um, um, hurtful, which would be just someone who is ignorant of, of them being you know, using a racial slur or that they didn't mean to be offensive, but they, just like with the t-shirts that you explained, right? Right. Where the Oklahoma dele delegation was not meaning to be offensive, but it was offensive and immediately, right. and I love how you said that they immediately turned their shirts around. That, made, that makes me so happy that, because that was the appropriate response. And that was, as educators, all of us as educators, that's what we do is we teach and we learn, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so... And that's what I try to do in my classroom. And so what the impact is, and as for, as far as indigenous people, we see ourselves, um, you know, misportrayed and that, and that can really make you see yourself as less than some other people. For example, so I went to college in Minnesota. My, I did my undergrad at St. Olaf College and it was very, very white. More than 90% of the student body was white. And um, there were no other Alaska Natives in the student body of 3,000. And I often heard comments, and there was a lot of curiosity um, about it, but 
about who I was. They were like, oh, I, you're from Alaska. I've never met an Eskimo before. I was like, well, I'm, I'm not. You yeah. haven't met an Eskimo yet because I'm not an Eskimo, oh, first of gosh. all. And, you know, um, the, you know, we are a diverse population. We have many Native people up here, different tribes. But um, especially in Oklahoma where, you know, you didn't know that about, about Eskimos. Um, and wore the T-shirt and going like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize it was offensive. So I remember for so long in my college experience feeling like what my background was was inferior to the experience of my fellow white classmates and schoolmates who their experiences growing up in middle America were what was what was seen as like as right or proper or normal, quote unquote normal. And it was only later that I saw my own experience growing up in the village and in a subsistence lifestyle that was really valuable and I had a unique and special experience and I had something to offer and a very powerful perspective. And but it took me a long time to get there. And part of it comes from, you know, people not understanding who my background or who we are as indigenous people. And then also when and so that's that's the impact I think on indigenous people, but the impact on non-indigenous is that it's okay to do this. It's okay to to have these types of caricatures. That it's it's not offensive to me. It's like, well, you know, have you walked in my shoes? You know, have you been an yeah. indigenous person in America? And so I think the impact is um, is negative all around. And it is, and I think Tom had mentioned it. Um, it's about respect, and I can't imagine opening a business. And calling it white man gyms and having an awful <laughs> right. caricature of a white person right. and not thinking that I might be offending somebody. Like, and if someone brought it to my attention, I, or if I did something, I would just be appalled. I would really, because I don't, that's not the world I want to live in where I think it's okay to, like, people just need to suck it up. No, that's not who we are. I want my own children, my students to behave because I certainly don't like being treated like that. And Eskimo Joe's has put out uh, information for folks to give them feedback, and um, they're really thinking about that 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 branding. So I want to and and can I can I say one yes, little thing? Yes. Here? What surprised me is that they have to think about it, right? Um, you know, and because no one is asking them to close a restaurant. I, I saw what some of their comments were. Like, they're, you know, we're about good service and good food. And you can still be that and not be offensive in your name. You know, it's, right. there's no one saying you need to change who you are completely. Well, how about we just be respectable in what we name ourselves? And I can't imagine if you, Alicia, said, my name is Alicia, but everyone called you something else that you don't like, and we all called you the wrong name, right. and we just insisted on doing it. I mean, really? <laughs> I'm going to start doing that to Alicia later. <laughs> she um, is not. No. <laughs> um, so, so, Mark, I want to ask you about... Um, you know, the conversations about mascots in Oklahoma have been going on for years. We had um, several years ago, Capitol Hill High School changed their name from the Redskins to the Red Wolves. Um, uh, Tulsa Union is looking at changing their um, or they're evaluating their name of the Redskins. And My alma mater, Oklahoma City University, used to be oh. the Chiefs. We are now the Stars. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, so and, and you guys just had an experience in Mustang. Um, with the band mascot, can you tell us from your perspective as the Native American caucus chair, um, 
why these conversations and these evaluations are important and um and especially you know as a an employee in mustang uh you know it it just goes back to to me first respect i mean Mm -hmm. you know to follow up with what linda was saying um it's just you know someone said to me while this has happened the last few months with the washington football team they they would say, well, that's your history. And, and I wanted to, I just wanted to scream at them and say, <laughs> no, that is not my history. Yeah. I mean, I, I can say from personal experience, my grandfather uh, basically made a decision not to choose or not to teach my mom and her sisters about their native history because they were growing up in quote unquote a white man's world. Wow. I mean, I, it's it drives me crazy that I can't tell my own son more than what I figured out about the the nation, whereas a lot of the culture and the history is is passed down. It's verbal, mm. and because my grandfather couldn't do that or chose not to do that, yeah, it drives me crazy. Was afraid to do and that. I know, and, and it's just. You think about this, this is not, you know, we're, we're not talking, you know, that long ago. We're talking about 50, 60 years ago where this conversation occurs. And right. it's, it's things like that that drive me nuts about this. And, you know, as as I'm looking at what's going on here in Mustang and reading, you know, kind of what they were saying, I mean, it's it's the exact same thing over again. You don't think... Oh, it's, you know, it's harmless. It's not that big of a deal. We didn't mean to do that. Well, because you didn't stop and think about it. Yeah. And, you know, if we would stop and think about how hurtful and disrespectful some of these things are, I mean, it really shouldn't be a conversation. I mean, it's a really, honestly, in a lot of places, and, you know, I've been a little guilty of it myself, too. I mean, as a young kid growing up, my favorite baseball team is the Atlanta Braves, you know? So uh, you look at some of these places where they have the mascots and everybody's like, well, it's respectful. I'm like, well, is it really respectful when you've got people dressing up? And that's really what it is. It's dressing up. It's not anywhere near what a native tribal regalia would look like. And we have problems with people, putting regalia on graduation outfits. I'm like, why are you upset about that? But then over here, you're willing to dress up and run around and and be silly. Yes. And your, I mean, Mustang Public Schools uh, band, they were the Knight Riders, which is not Native Mm -hmm. American related. But Mm -hmm. but, um, tell us the story about what, why the Knight Riders were chosen Versus what a night rider really is. Well, I mean, our main mascot for all of our other teams were, were the Broncos. So, you know, the, the band thought in the mid eighties, Hey, you know, let's pick something that, that, you know, ties in with the Broncos. So they come up with the word rider. Okay. Then they add the night part because a lot of their competitive marching stuff was at night. And so you know, Knight Rider was born, and you, you see their branding and everything, and it looks kind of like a medieval 
freestyle night. But when you go back and you hear the term night rider, some people are like, well, that's the way that people would torment and discriminate against people. They'd, you know, have the guy riding around on the horse at night, scaring people. And I'm like, you know, it started off as something that nowhere near was in their mind. But as time has gone on, you look at that and you're like, yeah, that's probably the best one to choose. And, you know, a lot of our, our district leadership has, you know, talked to our band director and talked to the kids and, you know, it's starting with the discussion. And, and quite honestly, I think that's where it needs to start. You know, if, if there's a mascot that we need to change, it needs to start with the discussion. And you need to ask the kids and make sure that they're the ones that aren't, you know, suffering. Mm. And like Linda said, we go back to them, go back to the kids. What do the kids think? Because that's the most important thing when we're talking about education. You know, how does it affect the kids? Well, this is a, a complex and important conversation. You guys, we appreciate all of you for your insight because it's it's ongoing and it will be ongoing um, in Oklahoma and, and in many states. So thank you guys so much for joining us today to, to talk about this. And you're absolutely right that we have to, to boil this down to respect. Mm-hmm. Our, do we as a society respect one another for authentically who we are? And when we know better about the hurt and harm that something does to others, do we have a responsibility to do better? And, um, and I think that through this conversation, we really have um, given people an opportunity to think from a different perspective. So thank you so much for being on Fried Okra today. Well, thank you for the invitation, and it's our pleasure. There are a lot of misconceptions about Alaska, and especially uh, surrounding uh, the many cultures that are here. And um, I think the solution does lie in education, and I appreciate Mm -hmm. the opportunity um, that you invited us to uh, celebrate the diversity um, of the indigenous cultures in Alaska and to uh, help uh, talk about such a very important issue um, for our students and our communities. Thank you. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. So uh, our topics today, first, we, the Oklahoma Education Association joined a, another coalition called Got Mask Oklahoma. You can find them on gotmaskok.org. It's a coalition of uh, the Healthier Oklahoma Coalition, a partnership of healthcare and education organizations uh, working together to improve the health of Oklahomans through advocacy and education the Oklahoma State Medical Association, Hospitals Association, every doctor, all, all the doctors groups, uh, obstetrics, gynecologists, I mean, everybody, dental association, um, health departments, Institute for Child Advocacy, OUMS, I mean, everybody, everybody and the OEA uh, is part of this coalition trying to, uh, to make sure that our folks are safe and healthy and um, and wearing a mask is part of that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so take a picture of yourself, post it on social medias, and uh, hashtag got mask okay. Um, and speaking of political things, um, which we weren't, but now we are. Uh, <laughs> I hope you guys have joined uh, in this week as we have had uh, listening tours with Abby Broyles uh, throughout the week. 
we will be, we've had other candidates reaching out to us and we'll be having virtual town halls for um, candidates so that you can get to know who really supports public education in Oklahoma and ask all the questions. All the questions. Yeah, some, some great insight. Um, we've talked with uh, Abby Broyles with um, trauma, connectivity and technology, uh, especially in the rural areas, but the connectivity issue is a statewide issue um, and, uh, and things like that. So it, it's been really informative. And lastly, today, Friday, July 31st, is your last day to register to vote in the August primary. Uh, so if you, if for the runoff, right. So if you have not registered to vote, get it done today. It's got to be at the department, I think, by five o'clock. Please also still register to vote. Yes, because, because November matters. Okay, we've had some excellent, yeah, today's been it. We have learned all the things today. I feel like we've learned all the things. Um, so we want to say thank you to our guest today, um, Dr. Donna Kayungu, and also uh, Tom Claymeyer, president of NEA Alaska, Linda Leal Prince, uh, high school social studies teacher in Anchorage, Debbie Hope Downing, um, an elder in our Native American caucus, and volunteer extraordinaire, uh, Mark Webb, she is amazing, Mark Webb, who chairs our Native American caucus. And, teaches out in Mustang. Um, we appreciate everybody for the time. Thank you also for listening to Friday for the Public Education Podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernell Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Friday Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at friedokrapodcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.